Hello there. Welcome back to the Changing the Narrative podcast. I'm Sophie Catherine. So happy to have you back here again today for episode number three, The Catalyst. So I'm going to start this episode off with reading a quote. I found this quote. I made my way to this quote right when my life started to shift. And it's extremely profound and I wanted to share it with you because I feel like it really sets the stage for this next episode. Let go of what has a repeating history of bringing you down energetically. You are ready to transition and create your reality in a way that is new and exciting. Burn that old chapter, start fresh. It was not meant to last forever. It's already served its purpose. You are ready to vibrate higher. You are ready to align yourself with higher consciousness. You are ready to fly high, baby. Let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the Changing the Narrative podcast, episode three of The Catalyst. So happy you've joined me back here today. It's so funny when I think that I I was like, oh, I'm just going to do one episode <laughs> and tell my story. And as I've dove into this podcast and, and, and what it's evolving to be, I realized, wow, like, no, it's going to take at least four parts for me to actually tell my story in its entirety of how I changed my narrative. And I will give you a warning. This episode is very heavy. Um, I've tried my best to make it as light as I can, but the things that we'll be talking about and the things that happened um, do carry energy. So just a heads up for that. Um, And I think I've realized like, you know, healing is not linear. And the things that I thought I had healed from, um, I've realized this podcast has been a great like conduit for healing because it's really allowed me to kind of go over the things that happened and process them in a new way. And it's been super healthy. So for any of you listening, you know, I I hope that this part of the story um, helps in some way because, you know, growing up, you know, if something happened where someone ended up at a hospital or something happened like with mental health, it was kind of just brushed under the carpet. I felt like it was always hush hush. No one really talked about mental health. And even some people have said to me, I, I, you're really going to talk about what happened? And I think it's important because if we're not vulnerable about what's happened to us in the darkest times, I mean, it takes opening the door to actually let the healing happen. And I really want this to be a space without judgment and a place where people can talk about anything that's happened to them without any shame or embarrassment because we're, this is the human experience. So everything that we go through we're teaching ourselves something and we're learning something. So let's dive in. <laughs> so I'm going to pick up where I left off on the last episode. You know, I've connected with this guy on social media and I couldn't wait. Like the, the morning came and I just was like, I got I to gotta keep talking to this guy. So I messaged him back and we start going back and forth and then we exchange numbers and then we're texting and it was so weirdly familiar. I mean, there was no awkwardness for me. When I talked to him, it was like, I'm catching up with an old friend. Like, that's how it felt. And our lives had been so parallel. You know, he had been in Bellingham the same time I was, like living in the West, on the West Coast. Same years. It was crazy. And we were both from New England. And, you know, he's like, oh, I'm just like moving back to New Hampshire. Like, I'm a New England kid. And, and I kept thinking, you know, if I had had like a normal upbringing where I was playing school sports and meeting people from different schools, I think our paths probably would have collided sooner. But I was like, you know what? Maybe everything in my life, everything was leading up to this moment for me to meet this guy because it did feel like a catalyst. It felt like this profound moment that I was supposed to have in time, you know? 
And I just started sending him voice memos. There was no awkwardness that wasn't like, oh, I think he's going to think I'm weird. He's... It was just like, I had no, there was like no thought in my mind about filtering myself. I just wanted to share everything with him. And he's like telling me what he likes for music. And so we're start talking about music and I was just enthralled. You know, I think it was <clears throat> definitely like life. I was looking at <laughs> things with rose colored glasses um, and he's like, I'm going to make this playlist. I'm going to make us a playlist. We can share songs. He named it flying high because we were flying high when we met and it just seemed so serendipitous. And you know, my cousin gets up and she's making coffee and I'm like, look at this guy. Look at this guy I met on a flight. And she's like, he's so good looking. And his social media was so curtailed. I mean, it was Looking back now, I can see how narcissistic it was, but at the time, I was just so enthralled by him that I didn't really see the red flags, you know? And I had scoured his social media looking for any evidence of a significant other, and I couldn't find a thing. And he posted videos of him, like, playing Bob Dylan on the piano, and I'm showing her his music, and she's like, oh my god. I'm like, I know. And I'm like, it's all happening. It's all happening. You know, I've got this apartment. As soon as I leave my ex, I meet this amazing guy that I feel like I know. He's so good looking. Everything's happening, you know. And I don't think I was really processing anything. I was just like going from one thing to the next. And eventually that's going to pile up on you and implode. And it did. Um, And even now my cousin talks back on that time. She's like, you weren't even like upset about the divorce. You weren't anything. And I was like, I know. I I was just, I was just like, my whole life had been about survival. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was calling the shots. I was doing what I wanted and it felt damn good, you know? So I wasn't concerned about my ex. I wasn't concerned about the divorce. All that mattered was this guy and this moment and this new life I was building. And I just kind of like stuffed everything in the back of my mind. And I was just like looking towards the future and I was so obsessed with The Secret. Like that documentary literally overtook my life. It became my religion. And I think what I've realized is, yes, law of attraction is real, but within reason. And I was manifesting and attracting things into my life, but it wasn't going to be all white roses and butterfly rainbow kisses. You know, there was some heaviness and darkness that was looming and it would all come to a head. So you know, we're talking and texting and all of that. And so he's like, I'll make you the playlist. And I had a lot going on. So I was excited about this guy, but I was also like hyper-focused on getting everything in alignment for my apartment. So this apartment was so cute that I got, I landed it so quickly. Um, Hardwood floors, bay windows, heart of the downtown West End district, right near coffee shops. I mean, it was everything I ever wanted. When I was a little girl growing up, I always imagined myself like living in Paris or, you know, in a city apartment, like by myself and being single. And it was, it was happening. You know, I'd finally broken away from the sky that I'd been dragging along like a parasite for most of the decade that I'd been with him. I didn't have him draining me anymore. And I just felt so free. And there was something so heavy about my ex's energy. So getting a release from that, I felt light again. It was like that same feeling I got when I packed up my car and left my family's house leaving that relationship felt like I was like breathing again. I felt like I had, and another thing I want to bring up right before I left my ex, I've just been thinking about this a lot. I started sea swimming and it was the height of the pandemic, you know, like we had to spend a lot of time outdoors because you couldn't really go and hang out in small spaces with people. So I began sea swimming and that just released 
something in me and this new level of healing. And I started to imagine life without my ex. Like everything was kind of leading up to this moment for me to be in this new space. So I was making, I was changing my narrative. I was changing my vibration. So things were just aligning. So in my head, everything's going to be perfect. So to go back to it. So I'm at my cousin's house. I'm getting everything ready to move into my new apartment. I had dinner plans that night with a friend. And um, this guy I'd met um, on the flight was like, hey, he's like, what's your email address? And I'm thinking, why is he my email? And I was like, it's this, okay. And I sent it. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, um, well, I just feel like I need to send you a letter about what's going on in my life. Don't freak out or anything. It's nothing bad. I just... I feel like I need to explain some things to you. And I'm like, what the fuck is he going to explain to me? Like, I got really worried. And I think I'd always, in my head, I would always think worst case scenario. But he's like, until then. And he sends like this selfie in his car. And he's got his sunglasses on and his hair, you know, and his truck. And I sent a selfie back because I had just gone for a run. And I was like, oh, look, it's so cute. (laughs) So completely like oblivious to everything. So I go to dinner with a friend. I'm sharing with her this story. I meet this guy in this flight and we have this moment. And she's like, oh my God, Sophie, it's meant to be. I'm like, I know. You know, we're like three drinks deep, just like showing her his Instagram and talking about him. And she's like, there's a connection there. I can sense it. I'm like, I know. And I started to notice that him and I kind of looked similar. Like we had very similar like facial reactions and our hair was the same color and it, it was weird. It was almost kind of looking at like a mirror of yourself, you know? And even the way we talked and communicated, we were so similar. He would like send 10 texts in a row and I would send 10 texts in a row and he would love everything I said. And I'd love everything he said, you know, that feature on iPhone. And it was like, I, I don't know. It was weird to talk to a guy that was like so much like myself. So we, um, we have dinner, me and my friend, I get back to my cousins. I'm laying in bed just waiting for this email, you know. No email comes, but I get like a load of texts. And he's like, hey, Sophie, like, sorry for the delay. I've just been kind of thinking all day about how I wanted to share this with you. Um, he's like, I did want to send you an email initially, but that seems so extra. So he's like, basically, I'll just give you like the condensed version of what I'm feeling. He's like, I am in no way looking for a relationship right now. Um, I'm just trying to live my best single life with my dog. I'm taking a break from attachment. But having said that, like, I feel like it's serendipity that we met. And Chrissy is serendipity, so I'm like swooning, you know. <laughs> and he's like, and I just feel like we were supposed to meet. And I'm so glad you reached out. Like, I've loved sharing music with you. Like, I don't like want a relationship, but I'd like to like discover whatever this is. And, and then he's like, and then I just want to be honest about something else. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> he's like, I'm very sexually motivated. I don't know why I read that and was like, oh, that's fine. You know, thinking back now, I can definitely see how he was angling things to manipulate. But I, I, I was so naive. You know, I'd been with one person for 10 years. Um, I never really dated. You know, I, I was so naive to what he was doing. And all I could feel was a strong connection. And I just didn't care about anything else. So he's like, I know you said that you weren't in the same space, you know, you, you, cause I kept saying to him, I don't know why I met you right now. Like, I don't know why I met you. I didn't want to tell him I was getting divorced because it felt like embarrassing. Like I didn't want him to think, oh, here's this girl with all this baggage. You know, I, I didn't, that was the one thing I felt like I couldn't really share, but he was like, can you give me the elevator version of like, what's going on with you? Everything he said just sounded so cool. Like, can you give me the elevator version? Like serendipity, you know, the way he would 
talk. I was just so drawn in. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going through a divorce. You know, I was in this really toxic relationship for 10 years that basically sucked me dry. And I was, I was so depleted. I was so depleted. I had been, you know, like I said, survival mode for so long. I'd never really had a moment just to be, you know? So I don't know why I met him when I did, but you know, everything happens for a reason, I guess. So, and, and I was just, you know, I just started talking about my sex life. I was very comfortable with him about like talking about sex. And I said, you know, he was my first. I didn't have sex till my wedding night and it never was good. And like, I feel like this is a time for me to explore that. And from the time that I met him, it was almost like something attached to me, like this sexual energy, like it's hard to explain. Um, I still don't really know what it was, but there was like this, I had asked the universe to have sex without guilt and shame. So I was thinking maybe the universe has brought this person into my life to explore that, you know, and he kind of angled toward it anyway. So he's like, good for you, Sophie, like onward and upward. I'm so proud of you for like making this big shift. So many good things coming for you. He was such a like cheerleader. Like he was very like, I felt like he was like cheering me on, you know, and I don't know, it was, it was like a pep talk almost. When, when I talked to him, I felt like I was getting like this boost of like, I don't know what it was. <laughs> and um, so we just texted and then he was like, you know, I'll be honest with you, like I've always had intimacy issues and, you know, I've always been so focused on having sex, but not the connection, you know, that you have during intimacy. Like I've never really had that with anybody. And, um, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm going to be that person that he can explore that with, you know? So we just kept talking and he kept, and the songs that he was adding to the playlist were so sexual. And I started to like masturbate all the time. I was like having all this like repressed sexual energy that was just like bubbling to the surface. I was like on fire, you know? And he kept saying, you've got like this fire inside you, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, I know. But it was, it was just like all of a sudden, all of this like energy that I had repressed was just there. And I wanted to see him. Like, I'm like, I gotta have sex with this guy. I had never been able to get turned on by like thinking of a guy or like there was a time when I was confused if I was I was maybe like into women because I I had only I'd had a couple experiences with women while I was married um drunken nights and my ex didn't care and that was like the last time I'd ever been turned on was like this makeout session I had with a girl and so I was like well maybe I'm a lesbian you know maybe I don't know what I am like maybe I'm not into one specific gender I wasn't sure but when I met him it felt so good to like lust after somebody or to like have this like sexual draw because I'd never had it before so I felt like all these walls were coming down and I was writing again I mean I wrote this thing about like my intimacy wall just kind of crumbling the minute I saw him so there was a purpose in meeting him I just wasn't really sure of what it was so he was like honestly if like I wasn't he was he's a teacher He's like, if I wasn't starting the school year out, because it was September, um, I would get on my bike and drive down and see you right now. Like, we were like, this like, can't sleep, can't eat, so excited, like twitipated, you know? So I'm like, well, let's plan a weekend. I said, let's come, why don't you come down for the weekend? No strings attached. We can just like explore whatever this is. And he's like, that sounds really good. So the focus then was finding a date. Mind you, I'm moving into my apartment. My dad's down, like packing up all my stuff and you know, I wasn't thinking about it. I just jumped from one thing to the next. And I think back now, like, oh, I wish someone could have just, you know, even if someone had come and shaken me and said, Sophie, like focus on like 
processing this. I wouldn't have because I was just so wrapped up in all the excitement. So I move into my apartment. Like I think it was like a two-week process. He was trying to come down for the weekend. So I'm like trying to get everything set up. I want to get the bed in. <laughs> I want to get everything set up so he can come see me, you know? And every time we'd try to make a date, it just wouldn't work out. And he'd always have some excuse, like a race with his students or something was going on. And I remember I was in LA. It's like the third time he bailed on me and he kept calling it a rendezvous and I called my aunt. And I'm just like, I don't know why this isn't manifesting. I'm doing everything right. I'm doing the visualization. I'm practicing gratitude. Like he's not coming. And I think back now on this time, it's such a huge protection. I think the universe knew like, this is not going to happen. I just couldn't understand why I'd had this intense feeling when I met him and then it wasn't manifesting. I was doing everything I could to make it happen. But in the meantime, like I'm setting up my new apartment, you know, getting polka dot curtains and, you know, getting like, <laughs> I had a, I found this rainbow umbrella on the side of the road one night and I like put that up on display in my apartment. I was painting again. I was hanging my paintings and I was like taking hours and exploring my city and just getting coffee and writing. And I mean, it was just like meeting him sparked me in a way. And it wasn't too long after I met him, I started to realize how in tune with him I was. Like I'd know the minute he was going to text me, like I'd wake up in the night saying his name and a text would come through because he would always text me late at night. In the beginning, we would text normal hours. And as the time went on, um, he started texting me late at night and he always had an excuse. Oh, I'm trying to be away from my phone or sorry, I left my phone here. I should have seen what was going on, but I didn't. Um, and I woke up in the night and I just heard a voice say, look up soul connection. So I look up soul connection. I find the twin flame theory. And basically for those of you that haven't heard of twin flame, it's actually very popular now. Back then I'd never heard of it. Um, it's basically the belief that two souls kind of split up and incarnate into this life. So there's the divine masculine and the divine feminine. And when you find that other half, it feels like you're coming home. And that is the best way I can describe when I met him. It felt like this homecoming. It felt like I've been looking for this person my whole life. And, you know, I think back to like, I meet so many people in my line of work. I can see up to 200 people to 400 people in a day, depending on how many flights I'm working and what aircraft I'm on. So the fact that I'd never met somebody and felt that way until him felt like it was meant to be. I mean, it just felt like it was kismet, you know? So I'm like, oh my God, he's my twin flame. And that is when things started to heighten for me, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, If you look into the twin flame, people talk about it. You know, I know all the terminology now. Do I believe in twin flames? Um, I think that we live many lives. I think, I think past lives are a thing. So I think meeting someone from your past can stir up a lot of things. And that's kind of what happened. After I met him, my dreams started to deepen. I started to have very profound dreams. And I started connecting him to my childhood. I had always seen like this figure with me my whole life, like this shadow. And at night when I'd sleep, I'd see it pacing. And the shadow showed up again after I met him and things started to happen in my apartment that I couldn't explain. Like one night the toilet seat was left up, like someone had gone pee like a guy had peed in the toilet and left this lit up. I would wake up and hear fireworks and I would see different colors. Like it was like, um, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Kundalini or anything like that, but it was like this spiritual awakening that kind of took off before I could figure out what I was on and not just that, I was so sexual. I mean, I, I broke my vibrator. I'm not even joking. 
I was so ravenous for sex. So he kept putting off coming and I was like, no, like you need to come see me now. Cause I'm like, like a cat in heat, you know? Um, so I'm not really sure how the time we were still sending songs, we were still texting. And then he's like, I gotta be honest with you about something. He's like, I have been seeing this person kind of casually for a while and it's trending in a committed direction. That was his terminology. I'm trying to say this without any anger. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, no, we're meant to be together. This was the first time he did that. And at this point I'd started sending him like sexual photos because I I'd noticed that if I sent him pictures in a sexual nature, he would respond quicker to me. Um, that's how it started to go. And I didn't mind being a piece of meat because any attention from him was attention. So it didn't really matter to me how I had him. You know, I just wanted him. And he, um, I was also like being very forward, like saying things like, I want to put my hands to your hair or things like that. I'd never been like that. I'd always been very timid sexually. So this was like a whole new me that I had never really met. So I spend the night just sending him Abraham Hicks quotes. No, like it was serendipity that we met and she used the word rendezvous, rendezvous and you did too. So everything's pointing to this. And I like sent him so many texts. And I remember it was like a week. We were supposed to meet up one weekend. He'd canceled. So that date was just in my mind. And on that same weekend, my divorce papers came. And I remember in that moment, I did get this like wave of like, ugh. And he had texted me back. He's like, I know like t- life is crazy and timing isn't. He's like, but I do think that our paths will cross at some point, you know? So I texted him and I was like, I think you're right about like, this just not being the right time. And you're like feeling this about this person. I'm like, because I got my divorce papers and I just kind of realized like, I'm not really processing it, you know? And he loved it immediately. And he's like, he's like, I sent him some writing I had. And he's like, Sophie, thank you for sending me your writing. I can't wait to sit down and read it. I'm having a beer right now, but I'll get back in touch. He goes, and you know, honestly, I owe you a phone conversation. Give me the time and place and I'll make it happen. And I was like, holy shit, you know, it's happening. I changed my frequency. I'm manifesting this correctly. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, how about Monday? He's like, Monday's perfect. Just call me. And if I don't respond, I'll call you back. And I wanted to hear his voice. I wanted to talk to him because all we'd had is texting and like social media interaction and this playlist. So I was in, I think I was in Newark on a layover and I could not sleep because I'm like, oh my God, we're going to talk on the phone. And as soon as it was 8 a.m., I called him and left him a voicemail. I waited And I waited and I waited and he never called me back. And he did that to me so many times. Like he'd tell me he was going to be there and then he just dropped the ball. And, you know, honestly, from the love that I had known, it wasn't different. I don't think, I mean, I definitely was an anxious attacher when it comes to attachment style, but it wasn't out of the norm for me to feel neglected. So what he was doing didn't feel abnormal. I think it felt pretty normal. Um, I was used to being let down by men, so, you know. And I thought something had happened to him. I was honestly worried about him. So I was processing him not calling me back, and I remember I had to work that day, and I just was so upset with him. I was so upset with him because he kept saying he was going to call me, and then he never would. And 
I had like this weird thing happen. So I'd always been like stressed about everything working out for me. And I remember I kind of just like cried on the flight. I was like, whatever, fuck it, you know. And I... I got in, we got really, we were in White Plains, New York, I think. We ended up in White Plains that night. And um, I was like, I want Chinese food. I want Chinese food and I want red wine. And it was late. And I, I know it sounds simple, but I'm like, I didn't know where this new hotel was that we were. It was a hotel I had never stayed at. So I'm like, I'm going to order food from like DoorDash or something. And I found this Chinese restaurant that was close to the hotel. And I'm like, stressing about when I'm going to order it. Because I'm like, I don't want to order this and have it show up before I get there. They're not going to know who this food is for. Like I used to stress about everything in my life. I'm like, I'm going to just order it. I'm going to trust the universe. This, this, <laughs> this food delivery like lines up with the shuttle. I mean, it's like literally coming. It pulls in the moment that the shuttle pulls in to the hotel. And it was late at night. The bar was closed. And I look to my right when we walk in and there's beautiful bottles of red wine from California just there to buy. And I'm like, Everything there that day, like a little girl had put a dolphin sticker on the lavatory toilet and it just looked magical. Everything that day had just been glowing. There was like this pink and purple hue over everything. So Chinese food gets delivered when I get there. The wine comes. I'm like, oh my God, you know, and then he texts me and I'm just thinking, he's like, I know Sophie, no apologies. I'm so sorry that I didn't call you. Like I just have, I'm having such a hard time communicating right now, but I do dream about the day that we're going to get together. And I hope at some point in the future we can make it happen. I'm thinking, why can't you just fucking drive up here? He wasn't being honest with me. I think I knew he was in a relationship, but I didn't want to see it. And there was this point where I'd seen something on his Instagram story and I could hear, I could hear another person in the kitchen area of his home. He was feeding his dog bacon and I could hear. And I just got this feeling like he's living with somebody. Even the first pictures he sent me, he was in bed with his dog and the bedspread was floral. What single guy living somewhere has a floral bedspread? You know, <laughs> the late night texting. I mean, it was all there, but I just was so enamored with him. I didn't want to see. And that's the funny thing about this situation. I have always been so realistic. And after I watched The Secret, nothing made sense to me anymore. I felt like life was this magical journey. And I just, I was like, oh my God, like I've just been viewing things wrong my whole life and I've been manifesting and I didn't even realize it. And so like, I remember my aunt came over at like some point in this and she was like, you need to calm down. You're like vibrating over there. Like I, she's like, you're going to literally spontaneously combust if you don't reel this in. I was so hyped up. I was having all these spiritual awakenings. I was having all these sexual feelings. I was meeting this guy. I was liberated. I was living by myself. I mean, I was a little manic, very manic. And I look back now, I see the signs of what was coming, but I don't think that I was, I didn't really realize what was going to happen. I wasn't sleeping because I was waiting all night for him to text me. Um, I wasn't eating well. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I've been doing healthy things my whole life, so I'm going to eat takeout every night. I mean, I was literally ordering DoorDash every night. I blew through so much money in that time because I felt like I could have anything I want because the universe is going to provide. Yes, the universe is going to provide, but it's within reason. And manifestation is a two-part process. You know, you don't just sit back and let it happen. You know, you have to put the work in. So he sends the text. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's going to happen. I'm going to forgive him for not calling me. You know, this guy was being an asshole to me. And I was just just dismissing all of it and forgiving him for it. Still sending him sexual photos, you know. And 
I started to like, I was spending so much time alone. I started to self-isolate in this process because I started to feel, I started to research the twin flame idea and, you know, talked about twins being telepathic. And from the time I met him, I felt like he was in my head. Like my thoughts weren't my own anymore. They were combined with his. It was very hard to explain. And I would share this with him and he would never say like, I don't know what you're talking about. He would just be like, well, I'm trying to send you good thoughts. He would always call it good thoughts. But the telepathy started to pick up where I felt like I was having conversations with him in my head. And that really amped up the first time we went into separation because the whole twin flame is you have the runner and the chaser. I was the chaser. He was the runner. There's always this like the meeting and you feel merged and you're, it's like this homecoming. And then, then you're trying to get together, but the atten- the connection is so intense. It just, you know, like spontaneously combusts. And then, then you go into the separation time. And then when it's all evened out, you've all done the inner work and work through your karma, you come back together and then it's beautiful, lovely rainbow butterfly, magical surprise, Christmas morning, candy cane. So I was trying to do everything I could to make this happen, but I was chasing him like crazy and he was running and because he had a fiance, <laughs> more on that in a bit. Um, so eventually it all came to a head. I sent him another sexy photo. He texted me and said, hey, I sent him this whole thing. I was going through so much too, dealing with my ex. Like my ex was trying to come back into my life. Um, the newness had worn off of this whole dating thing. This is like October. Um, and of course he's like trying to come back into my life and everything. And every time he would try to contact me, I'd get like this anxiety. I did not want to go back to him because it had been such a pattern of behavior before for me to run back to him. So I look at this person that I met as a catalyst because I was able to sever that relationship that was toxic with my ex because of this guy. I was, there's nothing else I don't think that could have made me make the cut from this relationship other than this, because my ex was so emotionally manipulative, so emotionally abusive. He had such a way with me and we had been together so long. He knew exactly what to say to bring me back in. And I was so obsessed with this guy. There's nothing he could have said to me that would ever make me go back. So for that, I'm fortunate. So I send this guy, I've met like a ton of texts and everything. And he sends me a heart and he's like, Sophie, I'm like processing what you're saying. And it was weird because I would get these feelings that he was going to come see me and he was in my city. And there was this one day and it's embarrassing to talk about, but I would feel like he was saying, I'm going to come. And I had a pendulum at this point. So I was like, well, we don't even need to like physically talk about him coming up here. Like he's just going to come visit me. And I got up this morning, one morning and I'm like hearing these voices, like I'm coming, Sophie, I'm going to come. I really felt like he was telling me telepathically he was going to come see me on this one particular day. And he had sent me a song a couple days before. And honestly, when I think back now, I I was delusional. But the lyrics are checking locks, turning knobs. I've been circling for blocks and I'll never stop. Like a moth to the flame when you're calling out my name, I'm on my way. I'm breaking in baby. I'll find a way, baby. I'll make you my baby, baby, baby. (laughs) And this road never ends and the street never bends. I know I'll never escape. Ride with me and you'll see it should just be you and me. So don't take this feeling away. So on this particular Saturday, I feel like he's coming. I keep seeing 1111 everywhere, which is Twin Flame Union, the signs of it. And all this stuff was happening that made it seem like he was coming. So I make these posters. One says divine timing. One says twin flame. One says serendipity. All these words that we could use onward and upward. And I put them 
in my apartment windows. I'm like, he's circling blocks. He's, he's in Portland looking for me. I literally got dressed up, curled my hair. I went walking around the streets of Portland thinking I was going to run into him. I mean, it was that delusional. I was like, we don't need to physically talk about meeting up. He's just going to show up and I'm just going to know. Um, things had amped up in my mind at this point. I was hearing more voices and they weren't, there was the telepathic voice. I felt like that was him, but there was also this voice. I thought I was hearing God. I think about, I lashed on a law of attraction. Like I did religion because rule following was what I did best. You know, being told what to do was how I lived my life. You'd be an obedient little girl. God's going to bless you. You're going to have the man of your dreams. And then you're going to live this perfect life. That was the formula of the cult that I was raised in. So when I watched The Secret, I latched onto that like it was my religion. And I followed every step perfectly. But this guy just wasn't coming to see me. Nothing I did was pulling him into me. And I was just, what am I doing wrong? Like, I'm out in the city. I'm looking for him. Where is he? Is he around this corner? He sent me this song. It has to mean something. Everything had to mean something. Every lyric meant something because our contact was so limited physically, like conversationally. I hadn't seen him in person. I had to like rely. I thought he was sending me coded messages through these stupid songs. And I look back now, no, he's a fucking player. You know, I didn't see it. There was one point where I went on to his Spotify and I started to see all these playlists, you know, for Lydia, for Meg, for Kelsey. And I'm like, wait a minute. And there was this one playlist for Lydia. Every single song he had put on our first playlist was on this playlist. And I've always been such a realistic person. And when I'm telling you, I just looked it over. I was like, okay, you know, it's different with me. No, this guy used playlists to, to get with women. Like that was his MO. And, um, you know, so he eventually gets back to me and he's just like, I've been spending time with this other lady and I don't think I should talk to you anymore. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you. Okay. So, you know, like there's nothing I can do to convince you. I'm great. I'm amazing. You're going to let me go. That's on you. Like delete all the photos I sent you. Like, I love you. We're twin flames. I know this, but like, I can't make you see it. And you're just scared. And oh my God, I was calling California psychics all the time trying to get (laughs) my people laugh when I say California psychics, but that is an actual company. And I don't know. I just call them a lot. They probably met their year end quota from me because I was getting other people to call them too. (laughs) Anyway, they were like telling me he's your twin flame. This is going to work out, but it wasn't working out. But one psychic said, he loves you. This is a twin flame connection. Um, but he, there's someone blocking. There's some, he's with someone else, but he doesn't love them. He loves you. So it kept me holding on to this idea that we were going to be together eventually. Um, so, so I'm like, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. And it felt good actually. Cause I'd never done that. I'd never gone off on somebody. I was always very like polite and nice and to just kind of like reel into him and just like, you know, it felt good. And he was like, okay, Sophie, like fair enough. Um, I'm, I'm going to block you, like delete your number. Like I'm going to sign off now. I'm like, he's like, I'll delete all your photos. And we just went into this separation period. We didn't talk for, I think like six weeks. And that's when things really amped up, um, in my head. Although there were all these cool things happening, like I would never take back this, like 
I don't want to say religious, but spiritual enlightenment I was getting. I was also getting a lot of other things. I was so open wide. I'm a firm believer in light and dark. I'm not necessarily, you know, heaven or hell, but I think that there are energies out there that are guiding and directing us. And I was open to any of it. Um, Cautionary tale. If you do meet someone you perceive to be your twin flame, (laughs) seek help immediately. Um, I didn't really have anybody to talk to about it because... I didn't know what was happening to me. All I knew is I was feeling all these things and having all these things happen. So when we went into separation, this was a time of like more voices. The voice I perceived to be God was amping up and it was telling me how to live my life. I would hear in the morning, all right, Sophie, get up, get out of bed. This is the voice of God talking to you. You are to go for a walk. You're to leave your phone at home. Come home, turn your phone on. Like it was like all these, all right, now take a shower. Now eat like And the voice at one point has said to me, this guy you met on a flight is the, the, the husband that your father has been praying for, for you. And I think back, I just have so much compassion for myself. I just, I just broke, you know, I just crumbled and be obedient, do what you're told. Like, ugh, like, you know, things, I don't feel like there was ever acknowledgement acknowledgement from my parents because they eventually left the cult and it's one of those things in my family we don't talk about it like I'll go up there for holidays it's like this huge thing that affected me mentally my entire life and it's like it's not acknowledged no they don't talk about it we don't talk about the physical abuse that we had as kids through the form of correction where we got hit with tree branches and told that we can't be in rebellion. You know, we don't talk about the fact that my sisters had arranged marriages. We don't talk about how we were isolated and not allowed to work. It's like, everything's okay now. Everybody's okay. And I think like, I've never been okay being okay. Like, I am a vulnerable, authentic person. And I could never exist in that structure. You know, it was like trying so hard to fit a square into a round hole, like a square peg in a round hole. You know, it's just like, I never fit in that. So I think everything was bubbling and coming to this breaking point And I just, I lost my mind and so we're not talking and I'm hearing this voice of God. And at this point, like I was writing, I wrote 311 pages of a book after I met this guy. And I thought it was going to be, I called it my ascension. And it was all about my ascension through meeting my twin flame and I'm glad I have that still because I can look back and see. There was a lot of cool things I was learning and, and receiving like information, but there was I was so manic. I was so manic. Um, so eventually, when I say like I would puke, I would puke. I felt like I was puking up every old belief system, anything I'd ever believed about anything. Like I remember there were days I would just like hug the toilet and I was laying on the floor like, what? what if there's this Maggie Rogers song and it's like, do you believe me now? Do you believe that I got caught up in a wave? Can you hear me now? I'm vulnerable in oh so many ways. Crying on the bathroom floor. I had to figure it out. This song is called Light On. And like that song is like this song, I feel like that like represents this journey. And it was like, if you leave the light on, I'll leave the light on. So I always felt like one of us would turn the light back on and then the other one would come back like a moth to a flame. So that would end up happening. Eventually, I sent him, after about a six-week period, a meme about Twin Flames, and he responded. And He then blocked my number. We started talking again. We reconnected on social media. And he was like, 
he had told me before we started our separation, I want you to go be free and have sex unhinged. Like, I don't want to hold you back anymore. Like, I feel like I'm moving forward with this person. And I couldn't really make sense of it because he had said to me like, oh, I want to live like my free life and take a break from attachment. But now you're telling me that like you've met somebody that was quick, you know? Um, and so we get back in contact and he's like, all right, I have two questions for you. And looking back now, I'm, I'm telling you like, pfft, I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, he's like, have you been with anybody since we haven't talked sexually? He called himself my chosen, like my chosen one, because I'd only been with my ex sexually. So he thought like he was like this sexual, I don't know what he thought he was, but, um, I said, no, I've been waiting for you, you know, of course. And he's like, oh my gosh, like, thank you for your patience and trust. And then he asks this other question. And even though I was delusional, I kind of still was upset about it. He's like, okay, if you could only see me once, would you still see me? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, just ponder that thought. Ponder. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, I guess I'd have to ponder. And he's like, well, think about it this way. And then he goes, and just so you know, my phone is at 1%. So manipulative. If time opened up a portal and you could only see me once, would you still see me? And I'm like, of course. He's like, okay, I'm going to be near you this weekend. Um... So like we made this plan. I call out of work. He bails again. And that's kind of like, he was still sending me songs. And like, I don't know. It, it just, it was weird. And then there was this one night. I'll never forget it. And it was, I, I felt conflicted all day. Um, I felt like inner turmoil. And it wasn't for me. I knew it was from him because I was fine. And, um. I had the most intense migraine of my life. I could feel him wrestling. I knew something was going on with him because that's ever since we met, it was like we were merged. And um, I remember I was like at a hotel in New York and I was like holding the walls of the shower because I thought I'm going to like collapse. And um, sure enough, he texts me and this would be like the last exchange we ever had. Um, he's like, hey, I um." I just want you to know, like, I don't hold anything against you, like, for the, how things started. And when we started talking, like, I, like, always enjoyed our time together. And he's like, I just added a song to the playlist. And and I'm like, can I send you a photo of me? And it wasn't, like, a sexual photo. I had really gone through this, like, metamorphosis. You know, my ex hated bangs. He hated floral patterns. I was finally figuring out, like, what style I wanted. I've always been very eccentric with my dress. And from the time I met my ex, I wore a lot of black and I didn't really like wear the fun, whimsical patterns that I wanted to because he always had something to say. So I got bangs when I got divorced and I was vintage shopping. So I was wearing all these fun, funky patterns. So I just sent him this photo of myself and it really was an authentic photo of me, you know. And he was like, oh, Sophie, like you look so good. Like you look like you're you and you're happy. And I was like, you know, I said, thank you for helping me find myself because I really did feel like. I had come back to who I was through this process, you know? And I was like, what about you? What's going on with you? You seem so happy now. Because he had started this business and um, he was like working on things and like he just seemed happy. And that was it. He never responded to that text. And I went and listened to the song. And I didn't really want to to listen to the lyrics because I kind of knew what he was saying, but that's when things took a dip. 
And the lyrics, it's the song Heat Waves by Glass Animals, and it says, Sometimes all I think about is you, late nights in the middle of June. Heat waves have been faking me out, but I can't make you happier now. And then it says, Usually I put something on TV so we never think about you and me, but today I see our reflections clearly in Hollywood laying on the screen. You just need a better life than this. You need something I can never give. Fake water all across the road. It's gone now. The night has come. You can't fight it. You can't breathe. You say something so loving, but now I've got to let you go. You'll be better off with someone new. I don't want to be alone. You know it hurts me too. You look so broken when you cry. One more and then I say goodbye. I think that's how he planned on ending. <laughs> um, that was the last song he ever added to the playlist. And I, I think I just kept feeding into the delusion. And then the voices were amping up, you know. Oh, you guys are meant to be together. Just do everything right. You'll end up together. And eventually I sent him a letter because he ended up blocking me on everything again. All social media, I tried to text him. I could tell that I wasn't being able to send texts. And I sent, I had his address. I, I had, <laughs> he had posted something to his business Instagram and I had screenshotted it. So I had his physical address. Oh boy. Well, that's when it became real for him because he definitely reached out after that letter. I think she found it, his fiance. Um, he sends me this message. He'd blocked me on Instagram, but I didn't know you could still message people once they're blocked. But I guess you can. So he messages me. And he's like, Sophie, I got your letter. Um, I'm getting married in three months. I'm going to call the cops on you. Like, you need to stop contacting me. I snapped. um, Mentally lost it. My mind ended up concocting this entire scenario to deal with what he had said. I think when something like that happens, you just, your mind almost comes up with this, like, I couldn't believe that that was him. I had all this idea about who he was. So when he said that, I thought someone had taken over his social media and that is when it got really dark. Um, the voice of God that I was hearing amplified times a thousand. And then I could hear this voice saying, that's not me, Sophie. Like, that's not me. Like my Instagram's been like compromised and I'm an, I'm a CIA agent. And it turned into this like idea and plot story in my head that I kind of created to make sense of what had happened. And I think about like when I met him, I was like becoming liberated and I was leaving this toxic relationship and I was healthy and fresh and vibrant. And at the end of it, I had just become this manic, obsessive, crazed person, stalker. I never thought I'd be a stalker. I never thought I'd be accused of being a stalker. So when he said that, I just could not compute it. I had this trip that day and this voice is like, okay, his Instagram's been compromised. You need to go out and buy a landline phone because your calls are being traced. So that's when things got very, I got very paranoid. So I went out and bought a landline phone and then I got cash so people couldn't trace my calls and I had to go to work. And I think back now, like, I don't know how I was working and functioning because I couldn't tell where I was, like what time of year it was, what year it was. I, I thought I was time traveling and, you know, I called out in the middle of this trip. I was seeing things that weren't there. I was convinced that I needed to like move with this guy to New Hampshire and help him with his like, I had to go undercover with him and I couldn't say anything to anybody because he was, his life was going to be in jeopardy. 
So I wasn't talking to anybody about what was going on because I thought I was protecting him. And we had to talk telepathically because we can't talk through the phone. And it was actually like a safety measure to like talk in our heads. And the astral sex kicked up at this point. Like I felt like I was having sex with him spiritually. And um, it was it was a lot. So I go to work. I work this trip. I like think I'm like in another time. I end up calling out of the trip because I was like, Oh, a voice told me I got to call out. So I call out of work. I'm, I'm terrified in my room. I think that um, someone is like watching my door at the hotel. So I call out to be protected. And the voice in my head is like, okay, Sophie, like you're going to leave your room at 5.55 p.m. There's gonna, you're going to get on the hotel shuttle. You're going to fly home. Because when you call out of a trip mid-pairing, um, they have to fly you back to base. So... But I'll be at the airport. Like, he's going to be there waiting to pick you up when you land. I was so scared. So I left, and it was like, don't dress to draw attention to you. Like, you're going to be taken to the safe place, like, in New Hampshire, like, to be with him. And and I leave my room at 5.55, very obedient, doing what I'm told, get in the elevator. I swear to God, I saw two, like, private agents, like, standing next to me, like, two, like, bodyguards that were, like, FBI agents, like, standing next to me. One was male, one was female. And I don't say anything to them. They don't say anything to me, but I could feel like them protecting me. And they walk me to the door and they just kind of like spread apart and I'm walking out and I look to my right and I see an angel, this guy in this like red cape. Um, I, I perceived him as Archangel Chamuel. If you're into like any of that, like it was, I was so into angel numbers and angels and, and um, he's like, oh, I'm going to escort you to the shuttle. This guy is like seven foot tall. And he's got a red cape on and these like marching boots. Like he looked like he was in like a band, you know, like the outfits that people wear in like marching high school marching bands and sunglasses. And his cap, his like, his cape is flapping in the wind. If you saw this guy walking down broad daylight, you'd be like, who the fuck is that? Um, no one's looking at him. There's this whole group of us getting on the shuttle and no one is acknowledging him. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm seeing something that's not here. So we get in the shuttle. He made me feel so safe though. I think... Even though I was manic and delusional and hallucinating, I honestly think like that was, it was, I felt safe. Like I felt safe with that presence there. So I don't know if I actually saw something or if it was part of my delusions, but in that moment, I think I needed to see an angel just to feel safe. So rides with me to the the airport. I didn't even want to look back at him because I was like this, I could feel like this angelic presence with me and it was crazy. Um, I get to the, get to the airport. I'm like trying really hard to get on the flight. I'm I'm scared to death. Um, I wish I could have hugged me. <laughs> I didn't think I could talk to anybody because I was so paranoid and so scared. And I get on the flight, fly to base. I think he's going to be waiting for me at the end of the escalator, you know, down by baggage claim. And he's not there. And I'm crying. I'm like doing everything right. Why, why doesn't he want me? Why doesn't he love me? You know, I never felt loved in my life. Like I always felt like a burden. I always felt different than everybody else. And so... I was just clinging to this idea of a twin flame because I felt like that's all I had, you know? So I get home that weekend. I'm paranoid. I block out all my curtains. Um, I like get a bunch of food and pay cash so no one can trace me. I feel like there's cameras in my building. I feel like people are watching me. Then I feel like I find out what he's doing for work and why it has to be so protected. A lot of like my delusions, not delusions, I guess... I started to like get downloads about algorithms and how our phones are being tracked. And this was before I even knew, you know, you'd like say popcorn and it shows up on like your Instagram instantly. 
Um, next thing you know, you're seeing like movie pop- popcorn everywhere. Um, I woke up and I was like, algorithms, everything's being tracked. Like I got that like years ago when this all happened and I didn't know about it. So there was a lot of things that I was kind of receiving that were actually pretty accurate to what was going on. So what I believed was that this guy I'd met worked in a government agency and he was creating an app that was going to help protect our phones from people being able to track them and to basically you could download an app. This is an actual app too. Um, and it will help like regain your privacy. Um, so he was working on it. It was super high profile. Couldn't talk about it. Um, and I believe that he had taken my phone over. I thought he could see all of my texts because he had downloaded the software onto my phone. Um, so it wasn't like wildly delusional. I mean, I think some of it seemed kind of realistic, to be honest with you. So um, we, I like think he's in my phone and, and I'm hearing a voice like, okay, text your friend and say that you're on a dating app. Seem normal. I think what I can say through this whole experience, stay humble. Um, I started to self-isolate. You know, I, there's so many things I'm sad about. I missed out on a friend's wedding who means so much to me because she thought I wanted nothing to do with her anymore. Um, I shut off the closest people to me because I thought I was so spiritual and so much better than everybody else because I was getting all of this information. I didn't want to talk to anybody unless they were on my level. And if they were against the twin flame connection, I didn't want them in my life. I didn't want to hear. I wanted echo chambers. I wanted people to reiterate back to me that this was going to happen. So if they didn't think it, I remember my really good friend, Lindsay, she was like, Sophie, like sometimes twin flames don't end up together in this life. And I was like, I don't want to see her again. She's too negative for me. And that's when I started to ice her out of my life. And I feel really bad. And so I'm, I'm at this weekend. I've, I'm, I've self-isolated. I think he's working on this app and I have to be quiet about it. And I don't really know how much time passed. Um, I think it was a span of about three days, but I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. Um, very manic. Um, I thought I was mailing a postcard at one point. I was told to go mail this postcard that was going to change the trajectory of time. Um, I had to go out. I was mailing it in the last remaining mailbox in the entire world. And this was going to like change the course of me and my twin flames connection. And we'd end up together in this life. And I had a, heard a voice say, are you ready to give it all up? Are you ready to give up everything you've ever known, your apartment, your freedom, and go move in with him and start a whole new life? Your parents are going to think you're murdered. They're going to think you're dead. And then you're going to have to send them postcards because what he's doing is so high profile that you're going to have to give up everything you've ever, you're going to have to take on a new identity. We're going to fake your murder. This is what I heard in my head, the voices. We're going to fake your murder. You're going to look like you got abducted. You're going to be this flight attendant that goes missing. They're going to see you on the news and you're actually going to be alive, but you're going to send postcards to your family with terms that only they know. So they're going to know it's you, but you can't say what your address is. You've got to start this whole new life. So I kept picturing this guy coming in a truck like, okay, he's going to come in the night. I'm going to run and jump in his truck and we're going to go live this life. I mean, that's where I was at with it. I was ready to give up everything for him. Um, then I thought my apartment turned into a movie set. I swear to God, I saw directors and film people outside. Um, I spent this entire Saturday. I think it was a Saturday. I got this yellow coat and I thought I was like a movie star in a past life. And so now I'm re- recording this movie and I thought I was 
walking around the whole day, like being filmed. I thought I was filming shots for this movie. Um, I was running up and down the stairs in my apartment building and knocking on people's doors because I thought that he was in the building with me. Um, I also thought that he like was this multimillionaire, my twin flame. I thought he was this multimillionaire and had bought this apartment building just for me and was remodeling a room upstairs for me where I had a walk-in closet and it was going to be like sex in the city and I had all these designer dresses. And I, I thought all these Amazon packages that were coming were gifts that he was storing away for me. I'm telling you, when it imploded, it imploded. I thought that I was making a movie about the Bride of Christ because this was all happening around Easter weekend. So the religious aspect came in. And there was this car that would park in front of my apartment. And it's so hard to talk about it. But I thought that the car represented like this spirit of anxiety. And every time I'd see this couple driving around in their car, I'd get scared. And I'd feel like this dark voice start. Like it got. <sighs> there was one night. I don't know if this happened. Um, after I mailed that postcard, I was walking around my city. I thought I was the last person alive in the pandemic. Everybody else had died. That's why it was so important to mail this postcard because it was literally saving humanity at this point. And, um, I took my house keys. I thought that my twin flame, I'm just going to call him that because I don't want to use his name. It's the easiest way to say it. Um, I thought he was in this like little shack that was selling beers in front of this gas station. So I like try to give him my keys up through the floorboard. I've like crawled onto the ground. I'm underneath. I, I like take my house keys. I didn't have my phone with me because I thought I was being tracked. So I left it at home. I like feed the keys up through this room. This voice is like telling me he's here. He's in this house. Ha ha. Like this very like sinister, evil feeling. My city was completely pitch black. There were ni- no lights on. I thought I was the last person alive. And um, it literally felt like the pit of hell. When I tell you the beautiful, magical, candy-coated Christmas morning feelings that I was having had turned into this dark pit of despair. And I felt like I was just being toyed with. Like my mind was just being completely toyed with. And um, I don't know how I got back into my apartment. I remember coming back to my apartment and the keys were like propped up on the door. Honestly, don't know if that happened. There are spaces that are missing for me. Like there's this. So after that happened, I think I'm filming this movie. I knock on this guy's door in my building and I'm like speaking, like mumbling to him. He doesn't know what I'm saying. I'm like running around. And next thing you know, I hear a scene go, okay, you're shooting the last scene of the movie and you have to run out of the door. So I, behind my building, there's like this parking lot and there's this little gate you can go through. So it's like, Run out of your building. Put this song on. So I blasted this song out my window. Um, it was a religious song from that church I'd visited in Northern, Northern California. I go running down the street. I go down this little pathway. I go into the parking lot. I've got that yellow jacket on that I had. And it, there was this like tub of motor oil. And it's like pour the motor oil all over yourself. Um, rub yourself with cigarettes. I'm doing it. Take all your clothes off. I'm naked. Stark naked. It's March. I am behind my building naked, covered in motor oil and cigarettes. And then the cops come. And I am like, this isn't happening. This isn't reality. You know, and I keep singing this weird song that I had in my head that I was supposed to sing for this movie. And they're like, what's your name? What's your name? And something I actually have not shared in this podcast. 
I legally changed my name in 2016. I was not born Sophie Catherine. I was born Katie Marjorie. And I changed my name legally because I wanted a fresh start from that past that I'd had. So I kept telling them that I was like, Katie, Sophie, Katie, Sophie. And I think back like, God damn, you know, I'd gone through a lot of shit. I snapped. I had a psychotic break. And it was, they kept asking me my name. I didn't think I could tell them my name because I was trying to protect him in this like venture he was working on with this app because he was like, so no matter what people asked me, I wouldn't tell them anything. And they ended up taking me to the hospital. I tried to escape out of the psych ward because I kept hearing him say he was going to pick me up behind the building, this twin flame guy. And um, <laughs> they ended up sedating me. I felt like I was in between realities. I at one point felt people pinching me, hitting me, pulling my hair in the psych ward. They eventually transferred me to a longer term facility. They kept trying to give me antipsychotics, but I wouldn't take them. Um, I tried to kiss the psychiatrist at this hospital at one point. I was there for two weeks. Eventually, I started taking the meds. But I had friends and family calling me, and I wouldn't talk to anybody because I didn't trust anybody. I'd hear a voice go, oh, they're pretending to be family, but it's not really your family. And um, I never thought that I'd end up in a mental hospital. Um, I think that's the hardest part to admit. <laughs> but... I did. And there was people in that establishment. I remember there were so many times I was hearing voices and I would tell myself, don't act crazy because you're going to never get out of here. Like something inside me knew I had to get through that. And there was one night I was so scared. I felt this demon in my bed with me and I wanted to run out of the room and it was telling me to run. But I stayed put and I was like, nope, I'm not going to run because if I run out of this room, they're going to think I'm even more crazy than I am. And I didn't tell them everything because I was afraid they were going to diagnose me with schizophrenia because I was hearing voices. I kind of wish I had been more honest with them about everything because I might have gotten a different diagnosis. They diagnosed me with bipolar one and I don't know, that whole whole time of my life feels like a blur, but there was this one guy, and I know he was an angel. He may be a physical person. I don't know, but there were all these workshops at this hospital. And every day I tried to like go outside and like go paint. And I, I just kind of knew I had to do all these things. So I did. And they were like, today we have an off-campus event. Um, we're just getting a group of people together to talk. And it's going to be kind of held to the side of the downstairs kitchen area. So I went and there was this old guy and he was just like, it was like an an open discussion. Everyone was just talking and he's like, okay, Sophie, like, tell us about you. Like, what do you want to do with your life? And through this whole thing, I thought that we were, re- I was supposed to restore connection back to humanity. I don't think that that's too far-fetched because, you know, what are we? We're, we're obsessed with our phones. I, I, I coined the term pocket prison because I feel like it is a prison in your pocket. So I felt like my job was, I was going to go to who... New Hampshire helped this guy with his business, but I was also going to be, I had started this little thing called Spirited Sophie during this time. And I was posting and making YouTube videos and creating content about law of attraction. I thought that that was going to become something I was going to work on. Um, it was my job to restore connection back to humanity because we'd lost it. And you got to remember, this is the height of the pandemic. I mean, there were so many people that couldn't see family and they couldn't see others. People were losing their minds during this time. And, and I, so I shared that, like, I want to write this book. 
and I want to I want to help with that and he just got emotional and he's like you know he's like this pandemic has been so hard for all of us he's just like you're so right about connection and he's like that's amazing like you need to write this book he was just so emphatic that I write this book and there was this other older guy I'd met that was like a writer too and I'd eat lunch with him, this old guy, he kind of looked like an old sailor. And we'd eat lunch together today, every, you know, day. And he was, he was like, he's like, I don't like people, but he's like, there's something about you. Like, I trust you. And we just bonded. But this guy that was leading this meeting, I, the meeting ended, I went back to my room and he comes up, he goes, I'm not supposed to do this. He's like, but I want to give you a hug. And he took his mask off <laughs> and he hugged me and I felt like I needed that hug (laughs) so bad. He was an angel. You know, there's so many people that were there, and I don't know if they were there or if they weren't, but two weeks passed up. You know, I'm on my antipsychotics. They're like, you're bipolar. You're good to go home. And I didn't want to go live with family. I wanted to go back to my apartment and... My family was really upset. They had been trying to see me at the hospital, but they wouldn't let them in because of COVID, the pandemic. And um, (laughs) I think about now, like, I had been this, like, person who'd been running from myself for so long. Like, I didn't want anything to do with my... Well, you know, I'd left the cult for a long time. I was disassociated from my family. I wasn't allowed to be around my nieces or nephews. And I kind of wanted nothing to do with my family. My ex didn't like my family. So I had all this, like bitterness and wall built up and I think the thought that they almost lost me it rekindled our relationship in a different way they cared about me not that they never did but I was a flight attendant I was off doing my own thing and this like situation kind of brought us all closer and I think they realized like they could have lost me because I will tell you I didn't care if I got hit by a bus I didn't care if I died all that matters was being with this person I would have given up everything if I had heard go jump off a bridge or jump off a building, I would have done it. That's, that is how much this took me over. So I get out of the hospital and I go home. My apartment was trashed. Um, there was stuff everywhere. I'm so thankful my cat was okay because when I ran out of the apartment, I didn't care about her or anything. And I think that was the hardest part is to realize I just completely surrendered myself. Everything. Everything I care about. I didn't my relationships, my cat, everything. I didn't care. And um, my parents came down to see me when I got out, when I got um, dismissed from the hospital. And I was still very, very paranoid. I'd made them turn their phones off. I thought we were being traced. And my sister said, when we left, we all just broke down and just started bawling. I mean, I'd gained so much weight. I was not myself. Um, They didn't recognize me anymore, you know? And it would take a lot of rebuilding for me to get to a place where I realized how much this had been a blessing in disguise. I started this episode with a quote and I want to end it with a quote by R.M. Drake. It's time to lose that heaviness. Time to let go of all that weight, of all the things you've been carrying for so long. I know it's hard to let go, And I know it's even harder to start over, but you can't keep all of that pain with you forever. It's paralyzing, and sooner or later, your precious heart is going to demand you to move on. It's going to demand you grow, to set up new flames, new beginnings, new chapters. That's a part of life, 
Whether you want to believe it or not, sooner or later, you'll have to let go of your past. And you must believe that letting it go will always be for the greater good because the best is yet to come. I'm so glad you've joined me on this third episode, The Catalyst, for my podcast. It's not the easiest story to tell, but I think it's so important because I don't want any topic on this podcast to be taboo. For me to open up and be vulnerable and share my story, I feel like it's laying the groundwork for others too as well. No matter where we come from in life, no matter what road we've been on, I feel like there's parts of our life that we like to keep hidden. And I think it's this human desire to always seem like we have it all together. Everything is good. And I'd had to do that my whole life. So the embarrassment of being naked, being taken by stretcher to a mental hospital, I had to let go of my pride and my ego. And I had to accept that that was my reality. And I had to build up from that. I had to process all of that and move forward and when I say the best was yet to come it truly was my life was about to unfold in a whole new way and it wasn't easy but it was part of my narrative that I was changing so I hope you've been inspired by my story I can't wait to share more with you if you do like what you're listening to if you wouldn't mind going ahead and hitting that follow button or subscribe button no matter where you listen And if you wouldn't mind giving me a five-star rating in the app, it does really help to grow my podcast so I can reach more people and work on this project that I'm so passionate about. This has been Sophie Catherine for the Change in the Narrative podcast, the episode Catalyst. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And I can't wait to share more with you soon.